VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're here with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. Indeed. And joining us today are The Times' very own Tom Roddy and Chief Football Writer Henry Winter. Coming up, we're going to take a look at Chelsea's Class of 19. We'll ask why Eddie Nketiah isn't getting a game at Leeds. And we'll look ahead to Manchester United's huge clash with Premier League leaders Liverpool. First, though, we are looking back at what was a sad night for football in Bulgaria. Henry was in Sofia, as well as Tom, on a night where the show on the pitch was ruined by events off it. The England debutant Tyrone Mings says he could hear the racist abuse as clear as day, but everybody made the decision to continue the Euro 2020 qualifier against Bulgaria in Sofia on Monday night. Play was halted twice in the first half because of abuse from supporters in line with UEFA protocol. England had the option to walk off the pitch but played the full 90 minutes before winning the game 6-0. Now, Henry, we spoke about this last week and you encouraged the players to walk off at the very first instance of any abuse, which would have ignored UEFA's 3 point protocol surely now UEFA have to look at what is a ridiculous protocol and realize that it's farcical well it is farcical I mean what other industry would you have it where you can be sitting say at your desk in an in an office and someone racially abuses you and they're given another chance to racially abuse you before actually act, proper action is is taken I mean it's it, it should be one strike and you're out I think, I mean, you mentioned Tyra Mings. Mings was talking afterwards that he had the racist abuse during the warm-up. Mm. So, and the officials were told then, the officials should have taken them off. I mean, but personally, I just think the you look at the players, you talk to the players, you look at UEFA, and we've been in the situation for decades now with UEFA and their inability to react to, properly to racism. And it almost has to be taken out of the hands of the authorities. You can't trust the authorities to take action. And it really has to come down to the players. Three-step protocol didn't work. There was still racist abuse in the, in the second half. The players, in fairness, said they, you know, they, they didn't really hear it in the second half. Southgate certainly said that to us. But still, they, they, they should have walked. Otherwise, you know, when England go on the qualifying road again for, uh, for 2022, uh, there will be other incidents like this. And eventually they will say enough is enough and walk. I mentioned that you were quite vocal about the fact that they should have walked off at the first instance. That was before the game. We, we talked about it. Are you in any way disappointed if if that is the right word to use that they didn't i'd never be disappointed with the england players and particularly this group who are a really fantastic collection of players and also of people as well we saw that during the world cup 
the way they spoke out on on a range of issues. Danny Rose on on racism and, and mental health, Raheem Sterling's Instagrams on uh, on on racism and calling out the media, calling out us a lot, saying we're not particularly diverse when he looks at the press box and press conferences. I, I think they're a very admirable. You know, there's a lot of integrity to the squad. So now I wouldn't, I absolutely wouldn't question them. I'm not down there. It was a decision, you know, that they took. Gregor would understand the mentality more than I would. But I just think that my long, very sad experience of UEFA and my long, very sad experience of going to places like this, you know what's going to happen. You know there's going to be racist abuse. You know the authorities are just going to come down, probably in this case with a £100,000 fine and um, a ground closure. Maybe the pressure that's being put on them by the, by the media and the, and the players, they might sort of go a little bit further. But really, unfortunately, it's now down to the players. And again, if I come back to it, if you're sitting in, a, in an office and you get racially abused twice before your employer actually does anything, you might actually say, I'm going to take action the first time. Tom, I mentioned you were there as well uh, alongside Henry. Can you just tell us exactly what it was like that night? Mm, I mean, it, to me, it felt a bit like a pantomime with the three-step protocol in terms of in the stadium during the, 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 the second step, which is meant to see the players go go off the field and didn't, which turned out to be England's decision and, and, and fair play to them. It was because it was four minutes away from, from half-time. But the way the, the home fans booed the break... Just it just felt like an absolute pantomime, and you had uh, I could see a woman to my right who had her thumbs down towards it. There was jeering, and and I think there was the monkey chanting in in amongst that as well. It was it was a horrific atmosphere, um, and of course we had the the story emerged yesterday, um, Martin Ziegler's story that you had stewards who were removing their bibs and joining in, and it was just it it was it wasn't an atmosphere I'd I'd ever experienced before. Uh, you also had down down below us to our left a, a group of, of uh, riot police dressed up in riot gear, m- masks and helmets on, prepared to come in, and 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 you could tell that it was affecting the the players badly. And Jordan Henderson got into a dispute with with the Bulgarian manager, and there was kind of the the animated uh, dis- dispute between the two of them. Uh, and I think it was it was it was a horrible situation. Mm. Gareth Southgate, along with every member of England's travelling party, has been praised, Gregor, for the way he dealt with and, and considered his players. Just how much of a role model do you think he is then, the England manager? Yeah, I think he, he handled it brilliantly. I think, you know, I, I, I said on the podcast beforehand, um, I kind of questioned him bringing the topic up in the last international break. You know, it was a, a huge run-up to to this. They built, they built the issue far 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 greater than the than the game. But I think it was necessary, really, and I think it was taking a stand. Um, and I, I don't, I don't think uh, Henry Henry said he shouldn't. You know, we should not criticise them in any way, shape, or form. There was no right or wrong answer to how to handle this. I, I'm slightly uncomfortable with people discounting the desire of the players to con- to want to continue playing. You know, mm. and a lot of people have have kind of done that. Um, I think you know these are all enlightened young guys. They knew the situation. They were prepared. They were briefed about what might happen, and they still chose to to continue playing. I don't think you know. I, I think that's important. They're the guys out there, um, and also you know some players. Ryan Sterling said even beforehand that he didn't want to walk off. He, he wanted to. He feels better going out and smashing them, and that's what they did. 
Um, so I think Gareth Southgate and England have handled it absolutely brilliantly. Um, and I think, you know, I'm not entirely convinced what what walking off does. I know it's a big statement; it'd be an even bigger statement than what was made. But I'm not entirely convinced. The the the, the real punishments need to be dished out to Bulgaria if they're seen to be weak, complicit. Um, apologetic even which which they were verging on for overt racism throw them out of the competition ban them from international football I think that's a far far more important step to take than whether the players walk off the pitch or not Southgate actually looked quite tired with it all afterwards I think the focus ahead of the game and the lead up to it had really kind of taken its toll on him but I think what he was saying is that they had managed to highlight what happened by informing the officials what uh, of what had gone on, but also finish the game, which the players wanted to do. Tyro Ming said after the game, we wanted to finish it and, and thump them. That was, you know, get the result. Um, but on Southgate being a role model, I think the thing with that is he never, even away from the racism, he never gets excited, Southgate, in terms of if it's victory or defeat. He's always quite measured. And I think what, what I found quite refreshing is that we've, got a kind of an easygoing coach who has the perspective of the wider world on everything because throughout all of this he always said at home our our house isn't in order because mm. he he referenced the Ineffion problems at Hartlepool and uh, and and Dover he referenced the you know you've got the Raheem Sterling at Chelsea and you've got the a, a banana thrown on the pitch at the Emirates he 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 made the point throughout the whole thing when it would have been easy to get swept along with it that we have our own problems yeah he was very different to the Bulgarian manager that is for sure mm. um Henry let me ask you Gre- Gregor mentioned there that Bulgaria perhaps should be thrown out of uh, a UEFA competition clearly the protocol doesn't work the punishments uh, as a result of racist abuse by UEFA given out previously are not a deterrent in any way. Where do you stand on what should happen next? Well, I love this idea of them being thrown out of, uh, of Euro 2020 when when their players' incompetence seems to be doing that somewhat effectively on its own. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it's uh, for, 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 for tournaments to come. And I think that should definitely happen. I mean, what has been good is that the, uh, the the Bulgarian politicians, and we all know the issues with the sort of BFU and, and their incompetence and the problems that they've had. But the Bulgarian government has obviously realised this is an absolute PR disaster for, uh, you know, for, for a country I've found, on the whole, pretty hospitable. I mean, you know, you do go around there and you see um, Nazi stickers. You do see offensive, you know, respect racism um, slogans or daubed on walls. I mean, I was quite cautious in the build-up to it about how much of this, because I mean, I do, you know, I go for a run on the morning of the game, the morning before the game, and go and see where the fans are, go and look around the stadium for anyone's there. And the, you know, there was Nazi uh, stickers there. There was um, uh, sort of anti-UEFA um anti-racism initiatives um, paraphernalia there and you just think well you know don't, don't print too much of this but my phone is full of pretty offensive images um, so what do you do I mean it's long term it's it's education as Tom rightly says we've got issues in in this country as well I think the difference is slightly certainly the media seems to be addressing it in this country and there was a pretty pretty strong denial that there was any problem in the match from the Bulgarian or many of the Bulgarian journalists at the game. And when Southgate came in, and as Tom said, talked in a very measured fashion, 
one of the Bulgarian cameramen went FU Southgate as he, as he walked out. So, look, Bulgarians got to look at themselves. I think the government acted rightly, um, you know, addressing the issues in the Bulgarian Football Union. Uh, I mean, look, there's so many reasons for this, but it all comes back to one thing, is that the players, ultimately, I think are going to set the tone on this. And I think the direction of travel, which is having been, you know, unfortunately, I've covered about 20 of these incidents with England, you know, from, from Madrid to all over Eastern Europe. The direction of travel with the players' thoughts is increasingly, we have had enough. And clearly the next step is that, that they will walk off. It's been interesting talking to Southgate on this as well, because in Podgorica, we were talking to him after the game when England players, um, Raheem Sterling, Danny Rose and Callum hudson Doyle were racially abused by Montenegro fans. And we said to him immediately afterwards in the sort of separate briefing that, that the newspapers have with him, um, well, why don't you walk off? And it hadn't really crossed his mind. And he, he got into a sort of bit of an emotional tangle about it. So maybe I should have done, maybe I should have taken more action, whatever. So you can see the direction of travel that the players are going through and that um, the manager, Southgate, is going through. And England will walk off the field in the next sort of two, three years. And the image that will send around the world will just be so strong. More than anything your wafer can do, more than anything we in the, in the media can say, more than anything sort of governments can do. And it will be an iconic image. It will be on the front of Time magazine. It will, it will just go everywhere. And it will just say, the players are saying enough is enough. You cannot have sport in an in-sporting, inhospitable um, climate. So, look, we can all see the direction of travel. Uh, I'm, in, I'm completely with Gregor. Certainly the players, you know, they're the ones in the middle of it. They're certainly not going to get any blame. But from long experience, they will walk at some point. Henry, thank you. My pleasure. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. England's under-21s were also in action during the week. A 5-1 win it was at Stadium MK against Austria, which saw Callum Hudson-Odoi score two. So you were there, Tom. How highly does the Chelsea youngster rate, do you think, in England's future? Potentially very high. I think it's a... uh, He's a very talented player, but I think the issue there is that it's a very congested position. Um, 
in that you've got Jaden Sancho, Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford, all young guys who he's going to be competing with for with England um, in future. And I think there's still a lot of development still there for Callum Hudson-Odoi. Jaden Sancho seems to be a more complete player at this age. And um, I think eventually, even though Rashford came in um, in Bulgaria and was put in an impressive performance, I think that will in the long term, become Sancho's position. Um, with Hudson-Odoi, I thought he's 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 developing well under Lampard and I think he, he'll do well to, to to working with Lampard because we had the Grimsby game in the League Cup and he, Lampard said after the game that he wasn't too sort of pleased with, with Callum at half-time that he said to him, about his runs, directing his runs more diagonal, and you saw an you saw an impact immediately after, and also at the Southampton game. So I think working with Lampard will 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 aid him greatly. Um, but I think he does have a have a very bright future with England. Yeah, I'm just like delighted to see him back to full fitness as well. Yeah. I wrote a piece a few weeks ago, just before just when he was sort of returned to training, so I, outlining I experienced the same injury, ruptured Achilles as him, um, and I was no, my sort of spring and, and strength and that, that leg was never the same um, obviously he was at Chelsea and I was not <laughs> but um, it's a tough it's a nasty injury um, and especially for a player who's so explosive and, and powerful and you know fleet footed and he's only 18 and it was really could have been really a cruel way to sort of his career has not really even started yet but all the signs are from his from his sort of cameos and and play so far since he's returned is that he's sort of back to full full fitness and full strength and mm. and uh, yeah full of promise. Well, that injury obviously has seen him just limited to two appearances for Chelsea in the Premier League this season. Just to touch on on Chelsea with Callum Hudson Odoi, so young as you've pointed out, Gregor uh, at eighteen and really just flourishing and starting to begin his career, but more positives for Chelsea that they haven't yet another youngster they can turn to. Yeah. Who knew this academy was there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um no he's he's I think uh, you've kind of seen he's he's come straight in and uh, the the story weirdly with Callum Hudson-Odoi goes into Christian Pulisic a little bit with at Chelsea in that the 58 million pound signing or however much it was is is now being kept out of the side and even though Pulisic is a is still a young player himself. Callum Hudson Odoi's potential and and how much the fans already love him. I mean, they 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 have a have a have a song for him already. And at eighteen years old, that's not not too bad. Um, <laughs> he's done something right, exactly. Um, and and I think he's he's already uh, assisting. I think he's got three assists already in his last three games for Chelsea. Um, yeah, I think he links up well with with. Mason Mount and, and Tammy Abraham, which again isn't a surprise given their their sort of history playing together, um, and I think he'll be on in the in the long run this season. I think he'll he'll be a starter and will be playing ahead of Pulisic certainly. You mean you mentioned Mason Mount when you also look at some of the other youngsters within that Chelsea squad for Kaya Tamori, Reese James, Ruben Loftus Cheek, uh, Tammy Abraham uh, as well to go alongside Hudson Adoy. That there have been Gregor some comparisons with Manchester United's class of 92. You're already smirking. <laughs> so I'm not sure if you're laughing at what I'm going to say. But go can we compare the two? Can we actually think that this could be a golden generation coming through? <laughs> it's certainly a generation with lots of potential. Um, <laughs> Look at you tempering. 
Look, the thing is, you know, the class of 92 only became a thing because they went and won the league and they did so on a regular basis and Manchester United became a kind of dynasty over that period, you know. Um, so, if we look at the landscape now, it's going to be hard for them to win the league in the short term. But there's a lot of, you know, a lot of promise and these guys are so young. Their first full season, really, in, in Premier League football and they're already really impressing. So, you know, developing together, if they if they can stick together and... Lampard is the manager. That's probably the the key thing. He's 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 the man at the helm who shows trust in them. It will be very interesting when the transfer ban, ban is up, and you see how much money they start throwing around, and whether they keep the sort of focus on youth that was slightly thrust upon them. Mm. Um, but under Lampard, I think the signs are that he will stick with that, and certainly with the talent at his disposal, disposal, why wouldn't you? Well, Callum Hudson-Odoi shone in A.D. Boothroyd's under-21 side in midweek, but one young lion, perhaps shone even brighter, the on-loan lead star, Eddie Nketiah, scored a hat-trick against Austria. The Arsenal loanee admitted, though, that he is frustrated by his role as a lead substitute after the match. He has yet to actually start a championship game for Marcelo Bielsa's side this season. That's despite scoring four goals in nine matches across all competitions. Tom... Before we talk a bit more about why he may not be playing for Leeds or certainly not starting, what kind of a talent is he? Yeah, I think he's a he's shown himself as as a as a poacher. I think uh, more than that, there's much more to him than that. But but that is at his age. I think being a poacher um, is is a big compliment because it's sort of movement around the box. Um, Austria's defence on on Tuesday night wasn't the wasn't the best, um, but he he showed his his prolific ability really, and um, I think he links up well with with the team and it, it's smart the way he moves around the box. Um, I think we we actually spoke to him after the game. He came out and spoke to us, and and he he seemed himself visibly kind of dumbfounded as to as to why he's not playing for Leeds. Um, and for Aidy Boothroyd, uh, I mean, he's I think he's scored uh, eight goals in seven games for the under twenty one. So he's shown he's shown his ability. He's shown his potential. We knew it before he went to Leeds at Arsenal. We knew he was he was a name that. For, for for a few years has been in the Arsenal Academy coming through and Eddie Boothroyd spoke about I spoke to him last week and he was talking about microwaving players um, and getting them ready <laughs> <laughs> yes different. yeah different um, it, it, what he was saying about it was was getting progressing them too quickly was his point okay, okay. Um, just to explain that on Eddie's <laughs> behalf um, out of context uh, but I, I think Nketiah is one who is who is developing quickly as well in and amongst um, a very talented under 21 side I don't think I've ever heard a comparison with a microwave <laughs> before but um, so we, we mentioned there he's not starting the leads he's coming on and playing his part and as I've mentioned scored four goals already why is he not starting do you think someone who as Tom has just alluded to, is quite prolific in front of goal. Well, we know all about Marcelo Bielsa's sort of overall kind of the holistic vision of his team and, you know, you've got to be pressing from the front and there's been some question marks about whether he's fully suited to, to that role. You're basically playing up front on your own in a Leeds team. Although I wouldn't necessarily say Patrick Bamford is the, the sort of immediately jumps to mind as someone who does that either. Although he has, you know, he has benefited from, from time with Bielsa. But that kind of all brings it down to the choice of club he made in the summer, I think. You know, there was some reports about 
the lengths to which the clubs were kind of going to try and get his secure his signature for this season. I think Bristol City and Dusseldorf mm-hmm. uh, and Leeds all sort of made a presentation, PowerPoints and all in a London hotel. Um, and he, they chose Leeds. Wow. Uh, yeah, no, it's really detailed stuff now. <laughs> and I, you know, I did a piece about loan managers la- last week as well, and the sort of microscopic detail that they go to in sort of monitoring the players just now. And and Keta even said, I think in the in the quotes after that that game the other, the other day, that he feels like an Arsenal player on loan at Leeds. Still, he still feels very much like an Arsenal player. Um, but they want to see him play. You know, mm. He's, this is an important stage in his development. Um, so and knowing all of that, knowing the knowing who uh, Bielsa is and then the way his team plays, perhaps it was a bit of an error in, in judgment. I think you know Bristol City are a team who have got a good track record of taking players, particularly from Chelsea. Time Abraham's one um, who flourished. They really you know they trust them and they they play good football as well. So perhaps they will come to rue that. I don't know. Maybe mm. maybe he will change. He'll go back in January. Maybe I don't know if there's a clause. Um, but I think if he doesn't start playing soon, then certainly they will be looking to 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 bring him back or to send him along to another club. I think Gregor's spot on with the whole it being a, a the, an important stage of his development because, and it is with Arsenal as a whole. You know, they have a really talented set of young players with Joe Willock, Reese Nelson, Emil Smith Rowe, and they're all emerging kind of at the t- same time. And Eddie Nketiah is one of them. And I think this this could p- potentially damage sort of his 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 development and i think if it doesn't change arsenal will certainly bring him back he's um eddie and said the other day that he's in constant contact with uh Aubameyang, who comes across from from what you hear is a real real good figure and role model within that arsenal side um and i think the way he spoke as gregor touched on that he feels like an arsenal player i got the feeling he wanted to almost go home possibly you know if he couldn't if he couldn't get into that side mm. I found it interesting bit that Arsenal were one of the one of the last clubs to actually appoint a loan manager when I was doing research for that piece only in January they appointed a guy called Ben Napper who was their first team analyst and Manchester City were doing this since 2012 and for those that aren't quite aware of what a loan manager does what do they do exactly well they they take a, an active role in finding the, the correct club for for their players um, and when they're at the club they do as much as they can to as uh, Eddie and Kitty are saying to make them still feel a part of the club to debrief all of their games to speak to them on a regular basis and check out their, mm. if they're moving to another country to you know smooth smooth that transition it's an important role it's a really kind of growing role and because this is such a seen as such a, a vital step in, in players development if they can't get in the first team in the Premier League team then they go away and they try and get games in if they're a success then there's a greater chance of them coming Tammy Abraham again is the best example he's a huge success in the championship gone away scored 50 odd goals in the championship over two seasons and without that would he be the same player he is now? Good question <laughs> Did you uh, ever have a PowerPoint presentation when you were going on loan or moving to a new club? I didn't ever go on loan <laughs> <laughs> Now, David De Gea and Paul Pogba have been ruled out of Manchester United's Premier League clash with Liverpool. De Gea underwent scans on Tuesday after suffering an injury in Spain's Euro 2020 qualifying match with Sweden and so will not be fit for the weekend. As for Pogba, well, he's already missed four of United's last seven and will still be a huge blow. But the De Gea news has come at a time 
when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer really didn't need it, Gregor. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, one could imagine that he'd be quite busy on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Um, with Manchester United playing. Um, yeah, absolutely. De Gea has been kind of, although he's not, he's had his moments, but he has been one sort of, sort of beacon of reasonable consistency throughout Manchester United's malaise. Um, and really, yeah, they could do with a, full, a fully fit team at the moment because it's kind of, I think, with every passing week without them registering a win or having a sort of half decent performance, the pressure is growing and growing on on Solskjaer and really on the whole club. It's it's the lowest point you can really visit, remember of um, in, in years at, at that football club. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a tough tough afternoon on Sunday for, for Manchester United. You can count on two hands, Tom, how many matches De Gea has missed through injury or illness for United. In nearly eight and a half years, he's only been unavailable for six games. Sergio Romero, who is, of course, De Gea's deputy for the last four years, has only started seven times in the Premier League, but has kept six clean sheets and lost just the once. So there's no cause for concern, is there? I think in the goalkeeping situation, I think Romero is a more than able understudy. Yeah, It's actually more the symbolism of losing someone like De Gea. It's just another blow for Solskjaer and the team. I mean, talking about Romero, he's, he's, he hasn't actually played in 17 months, so that's a little bit of an, an issue, kind of the freshness. And, mm-hmm. and De Gea in the Spain game against, against Sweden, he'd actually made, I think, two unbelievable typical De Gea saves before he came off on the hour but you've got um, Romero's played 96 times for Argentina when he's come in before we know he's a he's a brilliant understudy um, but I think it's more going to be the symbolism in the in the dressing room knowing before the game that they haven't got De Gea in a team that is kind of devoid of leaders and has been for some time mm. uh, In the opposite goal Alisson could be set for a return Gregor the Brazilian goalkeeper of course have been out of action since being forced off in the 4-1 win over Norwich at Anfield on the opening day of the season. Uh, Adrian, who was the summer signing for Liverpool, has performed very well in Alisson's absence with Liverpool unbeaten. So where do we stand on what Jurgen Klopp might do? Do you keep with Adrian, who, as we say, has done really well, or do you bring back someone of Alisson's stature? He'd be well within his rights to to keep keep the faith with Adrian because as you say he has done well there was one little blip at Southampton if I remember correctly with his you know he's he's not quite the same goalkeeper with the ball at his feet as Alisson mm-hmm. but Alisson is one of those players as you say of a stature and a standing in the team and he made such a difference to Liverpool last year um, he's just one of those players you, you imagine as soon as he's ready to go back in he will do um, similar someone like Van Dijk or a Salah up front, you know, just players who make who can make such a difference on their own. And again, sort of tying in with what Tom said there, just sort of carry a presence and, and an air of calm about them as well that is really sort of separates them and you know marks them out as one of the one of the best one of the best there is in, the, in, in their position. So I would imagine if if he's fit and ready and I, I, as I hear and he's been training for a couple of weeks and working very hard. Um, if he's fit, then they'll play him. I think the deciding factor there will be what Gregor said, that it's the ability with his feet uh, will will be the deciding factor for Jurgen Klopp. The fact that um, 
Alisson is is better than Adrian and that is the style of football that Jurgen Klopp wants to play. I think he'll play for that reason. Well, Liverpool have actually, incredibly, won just the once at Old Trafford this decade and that was when David Moyes was in charge of Manchester United. It was a 3-0 win uh, back in 2014. They even failed to win against an injury-ravaged United at Old Trafford last season with that nil-nil uh, draw. So is it possible that the Old Trafford factor plays into the minds of Liverpool. We know this is a heated rivalry, Gregor. Yeah, it's one of the Premier League's iconic fixtures, you know, mm. if not the. Um, but I, I still think the answer is no, I'm afraid. It's kind of yeah. Liverpool are so, so superior at the moment to Manchester United. A weakened Manchester United at that. Um, and a club that really has sort of come to terms with, with its demise and is not comfortable with it in, in the slightest so um, man, the pressure's on Manchester United absolutely Liverpool go there expected to win um, but I don't think that really puts more pressure on, on Liverpool I think they're on such a good run of form a win for Liverpool would equal Manchester City's record of 18 consecutive Premier League wins which would be a remarkable achievement and is motivation in itself um, so yeah I think the pressure is all on, all on Manchester United well, we know how a depressing a start it's been for Manchester United, who sit 12th in the Premier League right now, Tom. Could a bad outcome in Sunday's derby spell the end of Ole at the wheel? It, it has been, hasn't it? The worst start in 30 years um, at Man United. I, I don't think it would spell the end. Uh, I don't think it would. Um, I think uh, defeat is... is a- is almost expected, which which isn't you know we've been hearing ever since Fergie left at Man United that um, Man United are always expected to win, but I I think a, a defeat is completely expected this weekend. Um, I think what's important is the that for for Solskjaer will be the run of games that come after that because they've got in the league um, they've got Norwich, Bournemouth, Brighton, so those are the winnable games. Um, I think it's going into through October into November. I think that's when if it goes badly, then that's when he's going to be in trouble. Okay, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Tom Roddy and Henry Winter. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. Have a good weekend and we'll be back on Monday. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.